here we are. It is a special edition of Bleacher Blums. Not the normal intro, maybe the same music, but not the normal intro talking about how we're going to lead you into another great podcast brought to you by Jeff Blum and my good buddy and co-host David Tuttle across on the West Coast. But it's been a little bit of an interesting week, obviously. I told you guys that I had a chance to interview the new general manager, James Click, and the new manager, Dusty Baker, alongside Steve Sparks during an Astro Line uh, radio show that we did have. And I have been fortunate enough to accrue the audio from both those interviews due to the fact that the radio Astros, Astros radio network has been very good to us. And they sent the audio over and I've given it to David Tuttle to give a listen to. We both agree that it's a good opportunity for us to get it out there and introduce the Bleacher Blums crowd to the new general manager. James Click and the new manager, Dusty Baker, will do it in that succession. There's also a couple other things that popped up, and I wonder, David, if you've got a couple of thoughts with the Wall Street Journal coming out, we'll just prep that, and also the A.J. Hinch interview that just came out, but I know you've been paying attention. Are there any initial thoughts you've got going into this uh, quick podcast that we've got going? Yeah, I don't want to get too deep yet. We'll get into it as we go, but uh, certainly I just feel like the uh, – <laughs> This is the meeting of the analytics crowd and the uh, the old school crowd and, you know, guys that played the game and guys that didn't play the game. And I just see a, a disparity and a significant difference between how they're handling the situation. Um, we should put the in the show notes, we should definitely put the uh, link to the Wall Street Journal article, which is a really interesting article. Great call. Good call. I think we will put that Wall Street Journal article in there because it has a lot to do with the front office. But... With the issues in the front office and culture that everybody has been talking about with the Astros, they have fired Jeff Luno again. I know that's not really news to anybody, but they have fired a new general manager in James Click. And the first thing I asked him, how are you feeling? First and foremost, just gratitude. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe that uh, that this is this is happening. I'm excited about it. Uh, just can't thank Mr. Crane and everybody here at the Astros enough for the for the faith and the belief. Um, like I said during the press conference, I'm I'm excited about the opportunity, and I'm I'm not going to let them down. James, you you thanked a lot of people in the Tampa Bay Rays organization in your press conference, and I, I would imagine that was one of the things that was attractive about you. Uh, from the Astros' point of view, was how analytically advanced the Rays organization was. Uh, how do you feel like that experience will help you here? I think the culture at the Rays is is equally as important, if not more so, than than the analytics. Um, the, the the Rays and the Astros, I think, have been two teams that have been at the forefront of trying to push the envelope in baseball and not doing things the way that they've always been done, just because that that's the way that they have been done. But that said, we're, we're not going to just do things differently just to do things differently. If you're going to innovate like that and you're going to push the envelope, you have to have a culture where people trust each other and have their backs. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to, uh, to here in Houston. Yeah. And you talked about being with the Tampa Bay Rays organization for 14, 15 years, and you're dealing with a lower payroll, a lower market. Now you're with the Houston Astros and Jim, uh, Jim Crane obviously has shown the propensity to go out and spend some money if necessary. Talk about how the experience working with the low payroll is going to help you moving into the Astros where there might be a little more flexibility for you. Yeah, I think it's it's a scalable problem, really. Uh, the Rays were always looking for every little advantage that they can find, and, and they're going to stick to their guns when it comes to their processes. And I would think that we'll do the same thing here at the Astros. I think that they've shown that they've done that over the past you know 10 years or so since Mr. Crane has bought the team. Um, and it's just a, a scalability issue. We're just going to uh, do it bigger and, and, and better and just put more behind it. 
We're talking with GM of the Houston Astros, James Click. And James, one of the things I wanted to know from you is what's the first order of business? You come into a situation like this, you want to get to know people, their names first and foremost, but you get to know them. But on the field, what's your first order of business? Really, it's, it's getting to know people yeah. uh, on the field, off the field. I don't think that we can do the right things on the field unless unless Dusty and I uh, have developed that, that relationship that, that we're going to have and, and that I can develop a relationship with the coaching staff and the front office and the players. Uh, this is a, a big job, and, and I can't do it without uh, the, the trust of everybody here, and, and it's going to take some time to build that up. So that's really going to be priority number one. Um, baseball for 14, 15 years, where did that passion come from? Why baseball? It's a good question. Um, I loved playing it. I was not blessed to be very good at it. So I knew that I wanted to get into it some other way. Um, I, I was fortunate enough that um, about the time that I was ready to start contributing, that the game started looking to people with the uh, skill set that I had to, uh, to contribute. But look, when I graduated college, uh, I sent 30 letters to 30 teams asking mm -hmm. about internships. And, and I didn't get 30 responses back. But the ones <laughs> I got back were were either you know thanks but no thanks or uh, you know you, you sent this to the Padres but you you know addressed it to the Royals. <laughs> Are you sure you want to intern for us? Um, so uh, you know I, I it took a while for me to get in the game, but um, I don't know, man. It's it's baseball. It's yeah. it's you know mm -hmm. I, what what can you say about it? It it gets inside you. It gets in your blood and and um, you know the competitive nature of it. I'm just. I'm a competitive person. I'm a I'm a bad loser, um, and you know I, I just this is a great great forum to to try to win and, and to go out there and compete every day. And, and that that aspect of it is just is just awesome for me. James, one of the things that the Rays are known for in the last few years is the opener. Uh, do you anticipate the Astros might delve into that? Um, I I don't think that you know Justin Verlander is gonna is gonna be that that open to the to the idea, but I'm happy to talk to him about it. Um, but uh, the the opener was was a uh, wasn't a goal, right? The opener was a reaction to the fact that at that point the Rays had one or or at sometimes zero starting pitchers on their roster because of, of injuries and, and everything else. And um, we had to get creative to try to figure out how to get 27 outs in, in a baseball game. And, and uh, we learned a lot along the way. We made some mistakes, but, um, you know, figured it out. You know, if it's something that, that Dusty and I think can, can help the Astros win more games, absolutely, we're going to do it. Um, but it's really about finding the, the best, most efficient, most effective way to get those 27 outs. And, uh, you know, when you're able to throw a, a Verlander or a Grinky and, and the rest of that rotation out there, um, sometimes the, the best way to do it is just to get out of the way and let them do their jobs. Yeah, we talked about some of the issues that have come out in the report for the commissioner, and it actually affects the job that you're going to be doing moving forward, especially in the draft that's coming up. How do you plan on compensating for some of the issues that might be created in losing a couple of those draft picks? We're just going to have to be absolutely rock solid in our process. Um, and there is a tremendous amount of talent that has come out of the baseball draft in rounds three through 40. Uh, you look around the league, there's first and second round picks. There's also third round picks, there's fifth round picks, there's 31st round picks. We're just going to have to make sure that we get our information in the, in the right place, we get our process in the right place, and we stick to our guns. Um, it will be difficult to, to continue to add talent without those picks, but I have every faith in the scouts and the staff here that, you know, if we do this right, that we'll be able to do it. 
And lastly, James, Austin Pruitt, who is with the Rays, is now a Houston Astro. You know him pretty well. Uh, tell us about him. I mean, what can you say about Pru? Uh, I, just, a, just a professional, just a true pro, like one of those guys who goes out there, does his job, doesn't, doesn't complain, never asks about himself, is, just, is there for the team. He's willing to start. He's willing to relieve. He's, you know, for all I know, he's willing to hit. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, uh, but I'm going to be leaning on, on Pru a lot to, to introduce me uh, around the clubhouse sure. because you know, he's got at least a couple more weeks with the organization than, than I have. Um, but uh, it's, it's funny the way this, this game can, can split you apart from some people and then all of a sudden bring you back together. There you go. Congratulations on the opportunity. It's great to announce you as the Astros' new general manager, James Click, coming over from the Tampa Bay Rays. Great talking with you. I know Sparky enjoys having you around, but Absolutely. we look forward to some good times ahead. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Looking forward to it. And that is the new general manager, James Click. Some interesting stuff. And just a, a side note before you get into judging or thinking about what James Click said, when we interviewed him, I think it was literally maybe less than 24 hours that he got the news that he was going to become the general manager. So you can tell that he was a little uh, taken aback by the situation and uh, maybe a deer in headlights, but he was very good conversation. He's a very good mind. And some of the conversation I did have with him off air, he actually mentioned that he is trying to do the best he can to marry the analytics side to the eye test that we talk about a lot in baseball, where a lot of the old school that David Tuttle referenced earlier in the podcast, where you got to get some of those hands-on guys with the computer guys and hopefully find a happy medium. But what did you think about the whole interview? And give me some thoughts on James Click initially, David Tuttle. Yeah, you know what I liked about him is that, you know, I think we've kind of all misunderstood the sense of analytics saying, all right, you know, baseball's done it this way for X amount of years, and we're going to come in and we're going to change that. We're going to do this. And, and James touched on this. He said, look, we're not going to do stuff just to do stuff. And I think that's that's the sign the sign of a mature person and somebody who understands what they're doing. Um, I think in the interview there, they brought up this, the, the uh, I always call it the starter, but what was that guy called? The, uh, the opener. Thing. Yeah, that the was a opener. Tampa Bay thing, yeah. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, he said the reason they, st they, they began the game with an opener, he's, he's like, because we had to do that. We, you know, we were down to two starters and two guys had Tommy John and all that. So I think using your analytics and using your eye test and looking at the personnel that you have, I mean, that's how you solve a problem. You don't solve a problem by going square peg, round hole. And, you know, I think that's certainly a positive uh, from the analytics standpoint. That's what those guys bring to the table is kind of a creative mind and a new look on how to solve maybe an old problem. And I think that, you know, he certainly kind of fits the bill for that. Yeah, it'll be interesting watching James Click moving forward. Uh, it's it's a very early on, and I think considering that Wall Street Journal article that just came out, I think there still might be some adjustments to what James Click can do within his front office because it is his now, and he does want to change the culture, and he does want to create a relationship between the analytics department, the scouting department, and the coaching staffs for the Houston Astros in order to get a nice fluid machine working and up and running to create the best team possible. But with the Wall Street Journal article coming out now, we are finding out more about what's going on in the old school uh, culture of the Houston Astros. What do you got, Tuttle? Well, I think it goes without saying. I thought it, it was interesting in the audio there that he mentioned pushing the envelope. And I think there are going to be some people that are like, oh, pushing the envelope. The Astros <laughs> going to push the envelope. Obviously, he, he, you know, not tongue in cheek, but he, 
he means within the when within the rules of the game. And I think that that's what you know most teams are doing. So I, I just thought that that you mentioned not a deer in headlights, but he just found out he got the job, and they're asking him questions. And I really liked you know his competitive nature and his thoughts on you know where he thinks the organization can go. But when he mentioned pushing the envelope and really you know uh, you know. I don't know, not sitting on the razor's edge, but I thought there were some people that sighed probably like, oh, pushing the envelope, like they're not already doing that. And I thought that sounded funny, but obviously he means within the rules and, and kind of bringing a new a new energy and a new focus to to the Astros organization. Yeah, that's actually a kind of a, an interesting thought, because once you go into these new jobs after the culture before you is kind of tainted or you know, did take things a little bit too far. You almost have to change your language completely because if you are an analytic guy or if you're, you know, you're trying to advance the game or progress in a certain way that's a little unorthodox, you have a tendency to use, you know, vernacular that says, you know, it, it compares it to a military strategy or compares it to a, you know, a, a clandestine service, you know, but it's not, it's just a phrase. It's just a topic, but at the same time, you got to watch the timing of when you bring those, those words to the forefront. So I understand like you, because we know the situation, but I, if you're anti Astro and you're one of the ones on the outside going, Oh, he pushed the envelope. I know what that means. That means they're going to just start trying to cheat a different way, but I don't think that's true. I think James is one of those guys. It's very upfront. Uh, he actually encourages the conversation, which I think is great. So he's welcome. He's welcoming different theories or opinions and having the conversation in order to find out what is going to be best for the organization moving forward. And moving forward is the key because with the report coming out from the commissioner, we got uh, uh, you know solid evidence from Major League Baseball on what they want to see happening moving forward or what they thought happened. And now we're starting to see things leaked out a little bit through the Wall Street Journal. And we find out that there's three more names in this in this controversy that aren't exactly covered in the report. It's going to be interesting to see how the Astros move forward with the with these emails being leaked or with these these stories being told, because there are some people within the structure of Jeff Luno's front office who came to the forefront, we're finding out, in advancing the idea of using the sequences on the field and figuring them, figuring them out in order to find a way to, you know, take advantage of the situation, so to speak. There was, oh man, I, this is where I kind of find that fine line of where and what I can say. Because in the article, it mentions, I have hard, I'm seriously having a hard time throwing right. some names out there because Here, I work I'll with I'll throw the guys. names out there, right? Yeah. I read the article. Yeah. So I wish I knew how to pronounce their names. So there's obviously Hogan um, mm -hmm. and Vigoa. And now Vigoa, I think, is the guy that kind of, the way the emails were phrased. Now, this is all from the Wall Street Journal article. I did not get this from you. Um, and remember, it's my opinion, my opinion only. But the way the article states it is Vigoa was an intern in 2016 and he and a guy named uh is it coke coke weezer yeah yeah okay i mean i just don't know how to pronounce his name it's a it's a hyphenated last name but those two guys uh vagoa look like now he's like a senior director of something in the department but maybe this is how you work your way up the ladder he brought the uh the clandestine or the uh the code breaker kind of spreadsheet into the uh into the fold and I think it's kind of an interesting, I'm going to kind of take a step back instead of just naming names. He's obviously got promoted. He's moved up. But now it's, you know, he said, he said. But he basically, you know, probably, 
he brought this idea to the organization as a way to go, hey, we're thinking outside the box. The he said, he said part, and as you guys read the article, you'll see, is he said that he brought it to Luno. Luno saying he thought he meant like in-game, like legal sign stealing. So yeah, we're going to look at this and we can look at this in the background. And then during the game, that'll help us tip pitches from catcher or from the batter, from the pitcher and all that kind of stuff. Whereas uh, Vigoma and the other guy said, no, 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 we brought this knowing that this is something that we wanted to, uh, that we wanted to, um, you know, to put into place. And it was going to be utilizing the technology and it was going to be using it live and in game. I don't know if I'm articulating that very well, but I guess my point over that is the Wall Street Journal article mentions that these guys have now been promoted and they're still part of the organization. And what are we going to do about that? Essentially, like how, you know, how, 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 how long will they stay uh, members of the Astros organization? And then back to the, he said, he said thing, you know, Luno, although he said the buck stops here is still claiming to have no knowledge of any of this. And that seems a little uh, far fetched from my, from my, uh, from my senses. Yeah, it's a really tough situation to be in. I think you did a very good job of, of explaining it. And the initial code-breaking idea was actually a PowerPoint presentation. And that's what kind of, if you are thinking about culture and you are thinking about how to advance within a system, and that is how you feel that you are comfortable going in front of these people to advance, maybe your position or the team's position, that's where I think you can actually question the culture. Take away the Taubman issue with him being, you know, saying what he did to the female reporter. But if you have actually have an office running where you are welcoming ideas and that is an idea that somebody develops and actually has the guts to bring to the forefront in front of a, bo a board of employees, that kind of tells you maybe about the culture a little bit. I'm not trying to damn them. I'm not trying to you know, whatever. But if if I'm going to try and advance my career and the first, and maybe not the first, you know, idea that he brought to the table, but if I'm thinking of bringing an idea of cheating to the table and it's welcomed, I think therein lies the exact issue with what the Houston Astros were doing at the top. I, I agree. That's when you're talking about culture and ethics. And I think this is, this is my overarching point for this little, uh, for this little podcast that we brought in. I mean, I look at the way AJ handled it. I look at the way Jeff Luno handled it. I look that AJ was a baseball player. Jeff Luno wasn't a baseball player. Um, in, in my world now, sales and marketing, this happens in every organization. It's hilarious. And, you know, marketing goes in their little office and their bubble and they come up with all these fantastic ideas about how to sell this product. But it's related to like college and the real world. You sit in a class and they tell you this is what's going to happen. This is how you're going to do it. And you get out in the real world and you understand the concepts, but it's nothing like they taught you in the classroom. And I think that's what we're seeing here is that these guys that didn't play the game, they are looking at the technology aspect going, hey, we can get a competitive advantage here. That is where the players and the people that know the game have to step up, as you said, and say, no, 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 no this is not acceptable. Like we don't. We don't do that. We don't. We don't. We don't accept it. But we also don't utilize that in the everyday game. And as as we hear the Dusty Baker sound, you'll hear where he says, "Look, this is like you know backyard baseball. I just wanted to go out and play against my friends in the neighborhood. This isn't about money. This isn't about salaries. But I wanted to win, is what he said. And I wanted to win, and I wanted to shake your hand at the end. And I think that's what the players bring to the table, versus you know." 
the analytics side. And so I, I'm I'm seeing now a very definitive line between guys that played the game and guys that didn't. And I think that's where we talk about analytics and the eye test. There's a way to ethically and culturally um, marry those two. But as you said, somebody should have stepped up when, you know, I mean, Vigoa was an intern at the time. And he brings this PowerPoint presentation that I'm sure was legitimate and very well thought out and had some algorithms and some, you know, some some science behind it, which is why the organization hired him. But somebody should have said, no, 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 we can't do that. This is illegal. And again, that goes to Lunau saying, you know, well, I thought he was talking about in-game because maybe Luno just assumed that, you know, we wouldn't do anything that would be, you know, uh, you know, below uh I guess beneath the rules or, you know, uh, skirting the issue of the rules. And I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure who to believe when it comes to that, but I think the overarching point, like you said, this is basically a disconnect between sales and marketing or front office and players. And it didn't get uh, addressed at the beginning and it got out of hand. Yeah. And it goes back to the assumption too, to Jeff Luna assume that it was going to just be something that they did post game for the next day or the next series or next time they saw them. But again, we know what assuming means makes out of people. And again, you know, maybe, maybe the, the presentation was made and there was no kickback or questioning of what it was being used for or a definite, you know, finite use of this equipment or this idea was ever made. But eventually it evolved into a situation where it crept into the minds of players on the field, maybe. And now you've got you have you ha you definitely have a distinct. There was a front office culture who developed the, the code breaking or dark arts or whatever the hell they wanted to call it. And eventually it kind of migrated south onto the field and the players caught wind of it. And maybe initially we don't. And again, well, this is all we don't know. And like Tuttle said, he said, she said. You know, we can only guess to the way it evolved, but I'm sure that the, you know, players within the clubhouse or, you know, we, we've heard Alex Cora be, you know, one of the guys that was, you know, using this predominantly or whatever. Maybe he caught wind of the idea of the program and somebody, somebody, we don't know who, somebody inside there said, well, why can't we use that on a daily basis during the game? And there is where the issue was created and that's where the Astros went wrong. Yeah, and, and I think we've already touched on that. I mean, really, like you said, when it was initially presented, there was no pushback. But again, I go back to the uh, the buck stops here mentality. I mean, so here's here's the thing about the Wall Street Journal article that really can't be um, can't be questioned or uh, or disputed, and that is Jeff Luno had these emails, and basically they're yeah. saying, I mean, that's the part that I I kind of laughed out loud. They're saying, yeah. Uh, we we hear this about Donald Trump. The, the the briefs have to be a one pager, and you have to mention <laughs> Donald Trump like five or ten times. Like basically, they're saying, look, you can't send a six paragraph email to Luno because he only reads the first two paragraphs. Well, I mean, that's that's bullshit. Like if you got the email, you got the email, right? Yep. I mean, that's it. It doesn't matter. You're responsible for, it, especially in an organization when, as Jeff Lunau said, the buck stops here. Like. Now, he goes a step further by saying, I didn't know anything about it. So here, I'm going to bite the bullet or, you know, I'm going to take the heat. But he's not really taking the heat by saying, well, I didn't know it was in these emails. Look, there's copies of the transcripts of the transactions that went back and forth. And, you know, the bottom line is whether he read it or not, it's still his responsibility. And, and as you said, the culture and the kind of the environment that was established from the beginning when somebody came in in 2016 and made this presentation, I mean... That, that that's that's where this all went south. 
is allowing that presentation and, you know, kind of not shutting it down at the outset. Yeah, I agree. And I, and what worries me about this Wall Street Journal article also is the the it was written extremely well and the information was extremely good. But again, it was information that we never thought we would get. And it's out there. So I'm wondering, is this the last article we see or is there going to be more? And we also know that Major League Baseball has is still investigating the Boston Red Sox to see what to do with them. But uh, moving forward, the Astros have hired a new manager and they hired Dusty Baker. Tuttle and I talked about this on the day he actually got hired, before he got hired, saying how we enjoyed it. There's a connection with Tuttle on the left coast being a Giants fan. Dusty Baker obviously managing the Giants, the Cincinnati Reds, the Chicago Cubs, the Washington Nationals, a lot of time in the in the National League, and now he will be managing in the American League. But uh, again, a lot of credit goes to the Astros radio network for allowing us to use this audio on our podcast. And again, Steve Sparks and I had a chance to interview Dusty Baker on Astro Line. And here's a little bit from Dusty Baker. This is kind of exciting for me because Dusty Baker has been announced as the manager of the Astros moving forward here in 2020. And I was a kid growing up in L.A. Mm. watching the late 70s, early 80s, Los Angeles Dodgers and in your bell bottoms. In my in my bell bottoms and yeah. my hush puppies. I had bell bottoms too. <laughs> yeah. And platforms. You made yeah. them look a lot better than I did, but yeah. it's great to have you Thank on, you. Dusty. What a pleasure to have you here in Houston. How's it going? Well, it's going great. Uh, you know, I've been coming to Houston forever and ever. You know, I, I know a lot of people here. Uh, you know, uh, I have a lot of relatives here. I have godchildren here. I have, uh, I mean, you name it. I know a bunch of people here, a bunch of players mm-hmm. that played for me, you know, live here. So. Sure. Uh, you know, even a clubhouse guy, Steve Perry, he goes, man, you're finally on on our side. <laughs> and he goes, uh, he goes, I'll make sure that because I used to send him out all the time on getaway day yep. to go to Papado's, get me some there you s- go. some stuff to eat oh, on yeah. the plane. Yeah, and can't so, beat it. Oh, yeah. So he reminded me of that today. And uh, like I said, it's a it's a pleasure and honor to be here. Dusty, usually when you when you take over a new team as a manager, it's usually the team kind of stinks. Oh, but, but this, sure. this, this is, this is a good me, team. I've done that three or four times. I know you have. You've turned them into winners, too. Yeah. But how different is this? Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, they got some quality players. I mean, some real pros, guys that know how to play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you still, you know, still got to guide them and still got to direct them sometime. But, I mean, the main thing is, is that they know how to play. And, uh, um, you know, maybe – there's a few things that, you know, I'm trying to uh, make them better, uh, you know, sure. get them over the hump because we can all do some things better. And uh, But, you know, I'm excited. I mean, when you got some players like these guys uh, that, that, you know, that are on this team right. and also some guys that have done uh, start out when this team is losing 100. And, see, I think a lot of people – lose track of that i mean all they remember the last you know three or four years that's but, a good point i mean these guys went through some tough tough times and i know that they ever i mean they don't ever want to you know return to those times because see once you start going to the world series and once you start winning games i mean it becomes contagious and you expect it and uh you know these guys i could tell the way they play that they expect to win and the organization expects to win and I, I hear jim crane talking and i hear you guys talk, and I hear everybody in the world talking. So, hey, man, we're going to give them what they expect. That is winning. So, obviously, you've been paying attention to the Houston Astros. They've been in the limelight winning three straight seasons of 100-plus games. 
this clubhouse is unique just from a player standpoint. I know from Sparky and I watching this team and being involved with them, they're a great group of guys. Is there mm-hmm. anybody in particular that you are looking forward to getting to and being able to hang around? Or who was the first guy you sought out when you got into this clubhouse or when you get to this clubhouse? Well, the first guy that called me was Bregman. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he says, That's hey, kind of cool. Yeah, and he says, hey, welcome. You know, I got a call from New Mexico. <laughs> area code 505. I said, I don't know anybody in New Mexico. And, you know, and he said, hey, welcome. Uh, and then we had a, a great conversation. Then I came in down here. Next guy I saw was, was Altuve. And then I saw uh, Diaz and Altuve. They just got mm-hmm. through hitting. And so, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, to meeting all of them. Uh, I've seen them, you know, from afar. And I've seen a few guys just to say hello. But to, but, but to be on an everyday basis with these guys, be on the bus, be on the plane, be in the clubhouse, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it to see who, you know, the team leaders are, if, you know, probably three or four guys to see who the team clown is, that, that yeah. cra- you know, that cracks everybody <laughs> yep. up. You yep. know, you got to have those guys. I mean, it's a, you know, it's like a village. I mean, everybody, you know, has a kind of a role. These guys have a great uh, time in the dugout, too. I mean. You can see that, right? Oh, yeah. I can see that. I yep. mean, some of these dances and some of these things. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, we didn't dance in our day. You no. Know? no. <laughs> no they're dancing it. A little different approach for pitching back in the day, yeah, yes, too. I'll say so. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but it looks like fun. And, uh, you know, this game is supposed to be fun. But at the same time, uh, hey, man, we got to be serious, you know, come game time. And, and when you get to this level, when everybody gets to a certain pay scale, you're actually, you know, playing as an amateur. You know, you reverted all the way back, and you're just playing for fun. You're not really playing for a contract. You're not really playing for, you know, you know, for money. You're playing as if you're playing the other side of town. And, uh, you know, that's when baseball was the most fun. And, Jeff, you know this when we were kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one neighborhood plays another neighborhood. Well, this is, oh, what, it's like. oh, this is what it's like. And just let's just play ball, you know, because nothing thrills me better than – than to see a good ball game and uh, a hard-fought ball game, yeah. especially with me winning. Everybody that we've ever talked to or read about has always loved playing for you. So you're, you're a player's manager, whether you like it or not. But yeah. how did that style evolve? I don't know. Just being yourself? Yeah, but I mean, but I like to think, you know, I got it from my dad. My dad was my little league coach. Okay. And my dad was Bobby Bonds' little league coach how before about that? me oh, wow. in Riverside. Okay. And uh, actually, my dad cut me three times from his from his own team. Cause Wait, he said, what? Yeah, he said I had a bad attitude. Really? And, and he said, if <laughs> he you said can, it starts at the top. Yeah. <laughs> and so he said, if you can take that bad attitude and 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 and, oh, wow. and send it in a positive direction, you could be some one day. And then I've had some tremendous coaches, uh, a lot of amateur coaches on the way up. Mm-hmm. You know, my American Legion coach was Spider Spider Jorgensen, and Spider played with Jackie Robinson. How about uh, that, you know, man. on the Dodgers and then my high school coach. And then I had some outstanding coaches with the, you know, with the Braves, you know, Clint Courtney, Lou Fitzgerald. And then, you know, Eddie Robson was our GM. Mm. You know, he played. And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, our first GM was, was Paul Richards. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he liked me, you know, liked my skill level a lot. And so all the way up, uh, you know, I got to the Dodgers. I had Jim Gilliam. I had Preston Gomez. I mean, I had some guys. But that, you took a lot from, from, or a little bit from a lot of people. Yeah, yes, I did. And also, and, and you know, like I played with the great Hank Aaron, mm-hmm. you know, and Rico wow. Cardi and Cepeda. And these guys would not only uh, uh, tell you what to do and how to do it, but they would go out and show you how to do it, you know, which is even more important because most of us are great at copying. I mean, we can emulate 
somebody's batting stance, mm-hmm. uh, you know, walking style. We can do, right? I mean, as a kid, I mean, still I can't. Yeah, I'm, still I'm, try to. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had an Elgin Baylor's. Uh, oh, there you, you know, go. Oh, yeah. And my dad goes, boy, what's wrong with your head? And I said, nothing, Dad, because <laughs> he's yelling at the top of the key. I mean, you, you and, and so these guys are really, really, uh, uh, you know, good at emulation. And so, and so, therefore, that's where I learned a lot of my stuff. Uh, some of it, I tell you, I really learned teamwork uh, in the Marines. I was in the Marines from 69 to 75. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's where you, that's where I really learned teamwork because there's a guy that, Probably would never invite you over to dinner to his house, but he's in charge of, of saving your life, and you in charge of Have saving each other's his back. Exactly, yeah. and uh, so I mean, like I said, plus I was the oldest of five in the family, and my and my title of being the oldest was always responsible for some. There's a hole in the wall is my fault because I let it happen, <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, I didn't do it. You know yeah. what I mean? And so all these things, you know, come into play with uh, making you the way. You know that you are. Hmm. You have managed some some pretty good teams, and I know a lot of people want to draw from experience that you've had in the past as, as a manager. And I think one of the more unique experiences I think a lot of us have witnessed was back on that San Francisco Giants team, dealing with you know attitudes inside the clubhouse and creating a culture where guys are coming together and win. You had the Barry Bonds Jeff Kent situation, I believe it was uh, early two thousands, maybe two thousand two, but. How much do you draw from experiences in your managerial career? Because, you, you know, it's kind of unique that you had a couple of attitudes in Kenton Bonds, and then you go to the Chicago Cubs, and you've got Mark Pryor, and you've got Kerry Wood. So you've got two aces and, on your and, team and right Sammy now. Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa. That's another great one. So right. how do you draw from a lot of those experiences to look forward to what you're doing here in Houston? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you draw upon all your experiences, and you draw upon the experiences, you know, from yourself. Or, or when I was in L.A., you know, we didn't – we played together. We didn't all get along all, all <laughs> the time. Impossible. Yes, impossible. But uh, like like I explained to people, hey man, me and my brother might fight, you know, but you better not touch him because we're both gonna kick you. Yeah. And, and so uh, I mean, sometimes brothers fight. If you got any brothers, you know. Oh yeah. You know what it's like. But does that mean you don't love your brother? Oh heck yeah, you love him. Mm-hmm. But you don't love him at that moment when you guys are are fighting, and you hope it doesn't get to that point. But, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, I tell the players, hey, man, I don't care how much money you're making because I made a lot of money playing ball. I don't care, uh, you know, how famous you are because I was, you know, semi-famous. And I've been through what you, uh, are, are, you know, have been through. You know, I, I've been through a divorce. I've been through all kind of stuff where, where you can relate to whatever problems a person may have. And, uh, and what people fail to realize is that these guys have the same problems that everybody else in society right. has. These yeah. guys are a microcosm of mm-hmm. society. I mean, uh, your dog gets sick or, or something happens, your mom doesn't feel well, or you and your wife have arguments. Well, death, it's death it's, in the family. Death in the family, yeah. and, and, and it's all the same. Yeah. But, but, but I admire these guys because they, you know, they have the ability to come out and, and put all those problems aside and you really can't tell. And I remember one time I was talking to Pete Rose, I was on first base, and this was right in the middle of his 44-game hit streak. And, uh, you know, you know, Pete had gotten divorced. It was in the process. Uh, his dad died. And, uh, you know, he had a, you know, a couple other problems. I asked Pete, I said, Pete, how are you doing this? You know, because I'd have been down and out and in the bathroom someplace. Mm-hmm. And Pete says that he uses the ballpark as a sanctuary away from his problems. How about that? And I was like, man, that's pretty heavy right there. And, they, and I says, well, 
And he says, Dusty, whatever problems that you have when you get to the ballpark, those same ball problems are going to be there when you leave the ballpark. So why bring them to the ballpark with you during the game? Mm. And, uh, and, and I can never get quite as strong as P was in that, in that <laughs> regard, but at least he gave me kind of a roadmap on how to you know, deal with things off the field. Yeah, an extreme amount of focus to be able to separate those two things. And unfortunately, we're focused on time. We could, I know that Sparky and I could sit here and talk to you for hours. Yeah. And luckily, you're the Houston Astros manager now. We will get the opportunity to bug you continually throughout the course of the season. But appreciate having you yeah. on, National Line. Great seeing you again. When are you going to bring the blonde hair back? <laughs> hey, you, when you win that 100th game okay. in 2020, I would oh, go out okay, there and Okay, you heard it. Because, right. see, when I came in, I didn't know. I, I recognized the face, but I was like, uh, no. I, I haven't seen that dark <laughs> hair in a while, you know? I'm all grown up now. <laughs> man, oh man, is Dusty not one of the more entertaining guys in all of baseball? So one thing you can count on is that throughout the course of the season, you're going to get some great sound bites. Uh, I know that I'm going to get some great stories because I'm a huge. I was a huge Dodger fan growing up, so I know Dusty Baker's uh, career as a Dodger really well. And then obviously playing against him, but I had no idea that he was going that my hair was going to have such an impact on Dusty being here in Houston. I didn't realize that was something he was going to look forward to, man. But you heard it here on the, on the Bleacher Blums podcast that if the Astros go out and win 100 games under the tutelage and guidance of Dusty Baker, I'm going to go back to the blonde tips, man. That's probably the biggest news of this podcast right now. I agree, and and I think that's a win-win for everybody in the sense that if <laughs> if you're dying your hair, which oh. your daughters and your wife may laugh at, and oh, I yeah. might laugh at it too. You're Good doing chance. it for you're you're taking one for the team. That means the Astros won a hundred more games, and that's you know, like I said, you're you're uh, that that means you had a winning season and you're on the right track to head back to the World Series. And I think that's a that's a positive thing. So if you're dying your hair in uh, in six <laughs> months, then everything worked out the way it's supposed to work out. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of uh, radio, too, live radio, live TV, is that you say things and you go, oh, I just said that out loud because this team is very capable of going out there and winning 100 games. But you're right. If they do, it's good for everybody. That means the Astros are playing well without having to use all of the uh, prior technology. And it also is a credit to Dusty Baker. But everything that you, everything that you thought Dusty Baker was, did, did your opinion change at all or did it expand at all in listening to the interview with Dusty? Yeah, you know, when he managed the Giants, I was playing still at the time. So I wasn't, yeah. you know, you know, as you know, when you're playing, you're not like invested in baseball the same way as a little kid growing up, as I already mentioned my story about going to Candlestick Park. But I remember him with the Dodgers in those lineups with like Steve Yeager and, um, you know, Steve Garvey and Bill Russell Davey and Lopes, Reggie yeah. Smith and Davey Lopes. Like, I remember that whole, I mean, those guys, you know, you got your NBC game of the week and those guys were on every week. And I remember oh, yeah. him really well in that, in those lineups. But the thing that jumped out uh, to me from the interview, and I, you know, we can always—I don't know if it's a selfish thing—but you always look at it how it affects you or what what your what hits you. And I think we've talked about this before—the diversity in a clubhouse. I love that Dusty talked about it being a microcosm of society, but even more so. And we we talk about the military and the first responders quite often. You know, he talked about his time in the Marine Corps, and that was the thing that really that really kind of jumped off the page to me is he said, look, you're in a foxhole with some dude next to you and you may not ever invite this guy over to your house for dinner, but your life's in his hands and his life's in your hands. And so you have to figure out a way to get along. I mean, that's like Jocko's good, right? Like, Hey, you know, life threw you a curveball today. Good. So you're in mm -hmm. a foxhole with this guy that you would never invite to your house for dinner, but guess what? 
he's got your life in his hands and you've got his life in, in, in your hands. And I just think that's a, uh, that's a really, that's a testament to his managerial style. And then you add all the experience he's had in, you know, clubhouses and all that. And I think, uh, you know, the last thing he said that, that, that kind of really that I enjoyed and, and as you said, to expand my opinion of him was certainly the fact that like, look, salaries in here don't matter. He goes, I play with guys that have made tons of money. You know, Bobby Bonds was, you know, uh, his, you know, in his little league. And I mean, he's, he's been around the game. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And he has a really good overarching philosophy. And I think, he knows when to step on the gas pedal and when to step on the brakes is what it sounded like in that interview. And I think the Astros are in good hands. Yeah. And even when he sat down in front of us, I know that he is listed at 70 years old. But when he sat down and started to smile and talk about the sport, I mean, all of a sudden it was bright back to youth. And you could actually see that there is a lot of fire left in what Dusty wants to bring to this ball club. And it is a unique situation, like Steve Sparks said, is that normally he has come into teams that are average at best and made them better. Now he's stepping into a situation where the ball club is going to be extremely good, extremely talented, and now he gets to push these guys a little bit. But I like I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier in – you know, in, in analyzing some of the Wall Street Journal, in analyzing some of the issues that the Astros have had with the sign-stealing scandal is we got away from the purity of the game. And why not bring in a guy like Dusty Baker who, like you said, played Little League Baseball. His dad shut him down a couple times. He's, you know, he had to earn the right to be on his dad's team. So, I mean, he understands adversity. He goes to the Marines. He understands discipline. He understands how to handle attitudes. One of the things I tried to allude to in that uh, – interview was is that he's going to have to deal with attitudes inside the Astros clubhouse he had to do that with Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent and that's where he came up with the foxhole analogy is like you know what we're going to go to battle we're going to play our brains out but at the end of the day you're going to get in your car and go right I'm going to get in my car and go left and it doesn't mean we can't play hard together so he understands the gameplay on the field and it's also great you know bringing Dusty in with his experience and stories these guys are going to face a ton a ton of adversity when they get on the road. We know that. They're going to get booed out of the ballpark. They're going to get screamed at, berated. Their family members, they, it, it is it is open season on the Astros. And at some point, these guys are going to have a moment of weakness, and they're going to need a guy like Dusty to come in there. And Dusty's got the experience. I also like the fact that Dusty has worked with a couple of aces with the Chicago Cubs and Mark Pryor and Kerry Woods. So it kind of translates with the Justin Verlander, Zach Granke situation. And but all of that all encompassing what Dusty, I think, is going to try and bring back is the purity of the game. And that is probably the one thing that I am hoping with most. Obviously, my opinions are going to be skewed a little bit towards the Astros, but overall, I know this is a stain on the on on baseball, and I want baseball to get its purity back. And I think Dusty's going to be a good vehicle to get that back in the city of Houston. Uh, what are your expectations, maybe, of what Dusty's going to be able to do with this team? Yeah, you know, purity is a funny word. As I sent you that article, and we touched on it the last episode on this uh, on this podcast, but. Uh, you know, there's always been, you know, the Gaylord Perry's and the, you know, I mean, there's always something going on. But but when we say purity, it's the thing that we get crushed for on SportsCenter, too, is these unwritten rules of baseball. And I think that's mm -hmm. what that's when you say purity. That's what strikes me is that's what I want. The unwritten rules of baseball to kind of be 
you know, kind of the way they've always been, which is, you know, yeah, you can steal signs if the catcher's just putting down one sign when there's a guy on second base, then that's on him, right? That's part of the purity of the game. But, you know, I think you said this earlier, but man, when age is just a number, I mean, I feel the same way. I feel like yep. you and I are still fairly young, but man, when Dusty started talking, you know, I, I did the <laughs> same thing. I've never met him personally. And obviously you've seen him a few times and now got to, you know, kind of rekindle that relationship. You know, you hear 70 and you think, oh, this guy's 70. And then he starts talking about playing backyard baseball and, you know, Alex Bregman calling him and saying, hey, welcome to the ball club. And, you know, seeing guys around the stadium, he's energized. He sounds young. He knows the game. He loves the game. And I think a lot of people would also assimilate or um, uh, attribute the fact that he's name dropping. You know, he talked about yeah. Pete Rose on first base and then he went through every coach he had with the Braves and his American Legion coach and Spider Jorgensen and all these guys. He's not name dropping. He is a guy who takes a little bit from all these people that have kind of helped him along the way. And those people are just the best kind of people. You know, they, they don't forget where they came from. And they took a little bit from each of these people that had a hand in getting them to where they are. And I think that's the biggest thing that Dusty brings to the table. And when you have an experienced, successful ball club, like you said, I mean, the one challenge is, like you said, to, you know, to bleach your hair again. He's got to win 100 games. If he wins 98 games, did he fall short? I don't know. I mean, the bar is set really high, though. That's what I'm saying. If they win yeah. 80 games... Is his, is his hiring a failure? I mean, not really. I don't, I, I don't like to put that kind of pressure on him. So it'll be, I don't think there's a better captain of the ship when it comes to, as you said, going on the road and handling all the adversity that they're going to, uh, that they're going to face this year. And we've said this kind of throughout this controversy. It's just going to make these guys tougher, more competitive, and more hardened. And ultimately that'll probably make them better competitors. But I think you, I think, the Astros have the right guy in Dusty to kind of lead him through that. So, I agree. New manager for the Houston Astros is Dusty Baker, and he's basically a walking baseball history book. And this is a historic time in baseball, considering the size of this scandal. I don't. I don't think Rob Manfred really anticipated or or knew that this was going to spiral out of control like it has. But one of the victims. Not victims, but one of the co-conspirators, I guess, in this in this Astros sign-stealing scandal has been A.J. Hinch. And he had an interview recently on on uh, the Major League Baseball Network. And I don't have any sound from this, so we're just kind of sp going to speak off the cuff about this a little bit. But I know a lot of Astro fans have seen this. I'm sure a lot of people around the league have seen this. Because A.J. Hinch, for me... And I think you would agree is that he's really the first guy to really step up and step out and say, you know, we screwed up. He didn't necessarily pull the trigger, but he was one of the guys that maybe, you know, put put the device in the weapon to create the issue. So he was culpable, maybe out of omission or maybe out of turning the other way because he admitted to hearing the trash can banging, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he, he smashed TVs. You heard Tom Verducci say as much, you know, you know, what is it? When is enough enough? And it apparently wasn't enough just to smash two TVs. And this goes back to a couple of podcasts. And I know I keep blowing up our podcast, but we have said a lot of things that kind of come out a couple of days later where I text Tuttle and I'm going, dude, we were way ahead of this. We knew this was coming. But, uh, you know, he's 
he was guilty by not speaking out and stopping it definitively, as opposed to you know having his actions speak louder than his words by smashing the TV. So he came out and admitted as much and did did a very good job. And you know what's kind of interesting to me too, is you get a real good idea of what AJ feels that leadership is. And leadership is being accountable for everybody around him. And I still feel like him doing this interview in the fashion that he did, he was still trying to lead, even though he's not in a leadership role right now. He took the lead by putting his, his, his voice out there. He took the lead by putting his face out there. And I think that may, you know, as a player, I tried to imagine him in the position he's in, but I also tried to imagine the situation and the players who are watching this, because I guarantee you every player was watching this. And I still feel like him going out there and do that was his way of getting out there and saying, fellas, this is what we have to do. We have to admit the wrong. We have to give our opinion. We have to face the music. And he went out there and did that. And I applaud him for that. There were a couple of hiccups within that interview, but I'm not sure why they were there. You know, there could be a myriad of, uh, of you know, legal issues concerning buzzers and things like that. That was kind of a weak answer for me. But, you know, maybe it's because he literally didn't know. You know, I don't know what's going on with all that stuff. There's too many things that we don't know about the, the the advanced buzzer situation. But what we do know is that the report refutes it. So that's all we can go on. But at the same time, I really think he tried to jump out and get in front of this thing and lead by example. And I think he did himself a, a good job, not a phenomenal job. But I think he did a very good job of putting himself out there, accepting responsibility, explaining what he believes leadership is and he has definitely opened up the possibility for being a manager in the future. Tuttle. Without a doubt. I saw some uh, tweets this morning or yesterday about the fact that uh, it was some front office guys, sports writers, but also some front office guys saying, would you hire this guy to be the manager of your organization? Absolutely was the answer. Hands down. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm not going to use the word phenomenal or good. I felt like if he had the answer, he answered the question. I think mm -hmm. you're right. We don't know the legality and, you know, the way he handled the whole interview and then you get that last question, you know, about the buzzers and it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't think he knows. I, I honestly don't That's think how he I knows feel too. Exactly. Because of the fact that he stepped up and he's the only guy that stepped up. And this goes back to my sales and marketing thing, my player versus analyst. Like AJ has been the only guy that's been accountable from day one about his role in this. And I think you kind of touch on this too. His role wasn't that he was at the PowerPoint presentation. His role wasn't that they put that you know TV monitor and technology in. His role was he's managing a baseball team, and he knows that they're relaying the signs to the hitter. And he went in there and, like you said, smashed TVs. His role was basically not, not saying out loud, we need to put a stop to this. You know, smashing TVs and saying, you know, I've had enough of this is a pretty strong opinion, you know, or a pretty strong signal that you know how he feels about it. But I, I just think we tend to be, I mean, we've said this about the steroid guys as well. If you step up and say, look, I mean, Andy Pettit gets no grief at all. He said, yeah, look, I took this stuff. My elbow was trying to heal. I'm apologetic. I can't believe I did it. It was around the game. And, you know, something I probably shouldn't have done. But, you know, nobody gives him grief. You know, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds continue to say they didn't do anything, and they're getting a lot of heat for that, you know. And it's not even whether they did or they didn't. It's just there's no apology. There's no sign of um, contrition. There's no humble component to it. 
And I agree with you. AJ is leading by stepping up and basically, you know, taking the bullets for his men. And I think that's what you should do in a situation like that, especially as we already touched on the culture and the environment. You know, it comes it comes from the top. And I think, you know, ultimately as a leader, you know, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. And I think that's what AJ's learning right now. Like his, he is a very capable leader. He's done it well with the Astros with sign stealing, without sign stealing. He's got the, uh, the, uh, um, his men have belief in him. And, um, and, uh, and honestly, he just, you know, he just got himself in a bad situation. And I would guarantee you that this would not happen to him again. Yeah. And, and you know what? I completely agree with you in that sense. Obviously, he had to go through the consequence to realize that he won't do it again. But at the same time, I thought it was a really interesting answer early on in uh, the interview where he said, in 2017, I was not the same manager. And what you have to remember is uh, he got fired from a tough situation in Arizona. He got humbled. Got the job at the Astros in 2015, went to the playoffs, didn't go to the playoffs in 16, and finds himself in a situation in 2017 where this is going on. So he's relatively early in his managerial career, and he's and he's only two years, two and a half years into a ball club. So he's still trying to learn these guys and how to manage these guys as far as personalities. And I'm sure there was a moment of trepidation when he did know this was going on where he's like, am I going to lose the clubhouse if I go in there and yell at these guys and say, stop doing this bullshit and let's start playing the game? You know, do you lose your clubhouse and create a divide between the manager and player? And I think that's where he kind of said, that's where I was naive. And he, and he said as much in that interview. And here sitting in front of Tom Verducci in 2019, AJ said, I am a better manager and I'm more confident and I would have handled the situation differently. And that's to your point where I think he's grown up, learned from the situation, and he will try and move on and make better choices moving forward. But he was a great example in leadership and accepting the responsibility. We talk about it all the time on this podcast, you know, from – you know, the extreme leadership books that we read from Jocko Willing to, to you know, uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers and things like that. It's all about the leadership and how you handle yourself and develop yourself as a leader. And unfortunately, when your subordinates create an issue for you, it all goes back to leadership and culture like we've been talking about throughout this podcast. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, but I'm just going to add one last point. Before my dad passed away, we used to talk about, you know, the changes in society. And we've talked about this before about Sports Center and the immediate gratification society. And baseball is not an immediate gratif gratification sport. But if you had one thing to say about the youth of today, and this is sort of get off my lawn guy, but not quite. But as you get younger and everything gets faster, I look at my kids and they can get into my iPad in two seconds and I'm over here forgetting what my password was and how many digits is it supposed to be and they're in and they're downloading stuff, is responsibility for your actions. If we raise our kids to take responsibility and ownership of their actions, um, you're going to have a better society and a better place to live. And that goes from driving on the road to being a leader. And, and honestly, it really doesn't matter. And that's why I'm kind of upset with Jeff Luno. Um, or anybody in that scenario is basically it doesn't really matter what AJ knew or didn't know. He knows the culture and he's responsible for the culture and the environment in that clubhouse. And, you know, smashing TVs wasn't good enough. And he said as much. So and now he's a better manager and a better person for it. And it's super unfortunate that this was the uh, that these were the consequences for that. But I look for AJ to be a manager in 2021. And I would have no qualms about, you know, if I owned a baseball team hiring to run that group. And I think a lot of guys would would uh, welcome them in there. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys do a lot worse things. 
And if they can come in and help oh, you man. win, yeah, if they can, I mean, we can go down that list some other time. But, but you know, we've seen a lot of guys come into that clubhouse and they get welcomed in. And if they can help you win and they can perform, then guess what? They're going to be on the squad. Yep. I agree with you. And man, the, the, the last points you made are very, very true because it has been a very forgiving clubhouse in certain situations, whereas in the court of public opinion, you get that second chance, whereas in a court of law, it may not be as as forgiving and you end up serving some time. So, uh, you know, it is it's it's a con it's a consequence and a fact that they did break MLB law. But at the same time, there are much, much heavier situations coming in and out of clubhouses or locker rooms that we've seen in sports. But I agree with you in the sense that AJ's positioned himself and said enough to allow him to go out and get a job. For an office people, like you said, Dan O'Dowd, I think on MLB Network is an ex-GM that said if he was a GM again, he'd hire him in a heartbeat. So the last thing you have to really consider is how would he work inside that clubhouse with other players around him? And I think that he's done enough to prove to players that he will be forthcoming, he will be truthful, he will be honest, and he will do his best to try and get you to win some ball games. It's been an interesting episode of Bleacher Blums. Tully, you did a great job with the opinions. You were fired up. I love the passion that you bring for, for this situation. But a lot of times, you know, it's not necessarily that passion for the Houston Astros. I appreciate the passion for the game of baseball. And I think that's the greater overall picture that we need to look at is how do we make the game better and how do we grow the game and make it more appealing. And unfortunately, in this situation, it took a team to get exposed to kind of show the overall you know, underbelly of what's going on. And hopefully moving forward, this game will be better for it. Great job, Tuttle. You got any parting words before we send this thing home? No, I second the uh, second the thoughts that you just had. And, and Blummer, it's, it is fun. And I, I think we just have to get back to the reason that we started doing this in the first place. Yes, we want to set a good example. Uh, it's fun to talk about our families and our kids, and it's nice to have a following. But really, the reason we're doing this, we like to get into other sports is baseball. I mean, you know, we 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 have we share the kind of the growing up in the baseball environment, and uh, and we want to see the game. I don't know if restored is the right word, as you said, purity earlier. I mean, we just want to see the game played the right way, and we want to kind of put this on the. Uh, you know, in the in the uh, rearview mirror, and hopefully uh, with spring training coming quickly, um, we'll get to see that. And and obviously the intent of this podcast was to introduce everybody to James Click and Dusty Baker. And what better way to put things in the rearview mirror than yep. to bring on two new guys and let them take the ship in a different direction? Can't say it better myself. David Tuttle, my co-host here on Bleacher Blums, is awesome. And if you want to find out more about him, you go to bleacherblums.com. And if you want to send us some more questions in mailbag or give us an opinion on this podcast, make sure you go to bleacherblums.com and give us that uh, give us that shout out and let us know what you're thinking. You can also find us on Twitter at real David Tuttle at Blummer27. But that's going to do it for this special edition of Bleacher Blums, where we introduce the general manager for the Astros, James Click, and the new manager, the new skipper for the Houston Astros, Dusty Baker. And you know, at the end of any podcast we do that David and Tuttle and I do, we want you to remember to always get after it. Most of all, believe it. 